Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. I'm going to be ending a series today. We've talked about so many different things in this series about that the only God that, ever, that people ever see is what they see in us if we claim to be Christians. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our job is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. People are trying to find Jesus and uh, they don't know what to, what to look for sometimes. All they know is that what they've seen in, in a lot of situations uh, doesn't mean a whole lot to them. We talked about how Jesus comes into our life. He says, follow me, follow me. That's his clear command. Your job is to follow me. I'll make the decisions. I'll live in you. If it gets too heavy for you, I'll help pick up the load. If you fall under the load, I'll pick you up and carry you. But you must follow me. We have talked about how that along that road, some of the problems that come, that adversity is one of those things that we never know what another day will bring. We see that over and over and over again in our churches and especially here where we live in, at Sagemont. Today, I want to try to wrap this series up by turning to one of the most familiar chapters in all the Bible, but I want to try to look at this from a little bit different uh, perspective than maybe you have looked at it. The third chapter of John. Obviously, when you go to the third chapter of John, you think of the 16th verse, the most popular scripture that uh, is uh, uh, in the world. More people can quote John 3:16 than any other scripture. But when we look at this story today, we're going to go back up to the first verse. I want to read it to you. I want to very briefly tell you the story. Then I want to show you something that maybe it's a perspective of looking at this verse that maybe you have not thought about. Whenever we get through with our service today, you're going to have an opportunity to go wherever God leads you to go. If you are a first-time guest, we want you to leave this auditorium and go to our hospitality room, and I have a beautiful family Bible that I want to give you. If you don't have anywhere to eat and you'd like to eat free, I want you to be my guest today and uh, have lunch together, and we will uh, start serving as soon as this service is over, and we will let you go no later than 1.45. We also have some red tents out there in the foyer, and we've been for the last few uh, worship times together, laying on the hearts of all of our people how we have eight minutes in which to either impress people or to run them off. And we tell people, don't join us until you know what you're getting into, but don't go away until you know what you're going away from. But we only have one time to make a first impression. And we're wanting to find as many of you as can that will serve the Lord in about 15 or 20 minutes every Sunday uh, to say a either a hello or a goodbye to the people that worship. Now, if you looked in your bulletin today, you see the names of about, I think there are 99 men there. Real quickly to our church family, I want you to know what that is. That's the sample ballot that next Sunday we will choose our deacons for our church. Those men have been put on that ballot, listen very carefully, for one reason. They've been chosen, not because they're raised, not because they're wealth, not because how long they've been at Sagemont, They've been chosen because we believe these men represent men of God, spiritual leaders. They can give counsel to the pastor and staff and at the same time 
can be an example in word or deed in every aspect of our church's life. When you look down at the new deacons, there's something I'm very excited about there. A few weeks ago, we went and invited our young men from our young uh, groups in our church that uh, would just feel like that maybe God would want to raise them up in the years that are to come, and we pray that there'll be many to be spiritual leaders in the church and what that is. What are the qualifications of a deacon? What's their responsibility? All that kind of thing. More than 50 young men in our church participated in uh, four weeks. We had the professors of Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary come and be the teachers. It was an awesome uh, month for us. Out of those 50-plus uh, young men, uh, 10 of them are on that list to be new deacons if you so choose. These men have responded in an incredible way learning the scriptures and all the aspects that relate to the church and what God wants the church to be. And uh, so those men that are there are young men that have uh, given very clear indication that God has a plan and a purpose for them to become spiritual leaders in their generation. We're doing that in every aspect of our church, our, our teams. Uh, we don't have committees. If you're a guest, we have teams. It's no fun to be on a committee, but it's fun to be on a team. And... Uh, we have uh, so many that have just uh, come to the line to be our leaders, and they will, that number will grow in the days to come. So next week, every deacon has to receive 90% of the votes on Sunday morning by secret ballot vote, unsigned uh, ballot. You won't sign it. You will vote. They must receive 90% in order to serve. And these men, every one of them, those that have been with us a long time and those that are brand new, I can assure you, have gone through a very close look based on the scripture, their personal testimony, and the passion they have in their heart. So, would you look now with me at John chapter 3? I believe you have it. If not, you look on the screen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> Let me read to you from verse 1 a brief story that I hope you'll never forget. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen to that. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, the water birth is a physical birth, then the spiritual birth, both are necessary. Except a man be born physically and spiritually, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born Again, I want to talk to you on how to start a brand new life. Would you be seated, please? Now, very quickly, let me tell you the story. Nicodemus was a very powerful man. He was wealthy, well-known, powerful in government, and uh, faithful as a spiritual leader. Now, this man had all the credentials to make who's who uh, in Jerusalem. However... There was something in this man's life that he knew that other people did not know. 
He was not near as happy as people thought he was. He was not near as, as successful as they thought he was because he knew that down inside there was something in his life that was missing, and whatever it was, all the fame, all the fortune, all the power enabled him to accomplish not anywhere close to what he felt like he should be accomplishing. He had plenty of people that would speak to him, lots of friends, lots of people that wanted to act like they were his friends when they really weren't his friends. But this man was so caught up in the real Nicodemus, he knew himself, that he had an opportunity one day to meet Jesus Christ. Now, you'll notice it says he came by night. Now, theologians have a lot of, of discussion. Why did he come at night? Some have said he probably came at night because it was so strong in him he couldn't wait till morning. He just felt like, I've got to get to Jesus. It was just a passion for him to do so. Other people say, no, that wasn't it. He was, he was afraid that somebody would see him, the big, powerful, rich, successful guy. Why would he want to humble himself and go to, and talk to a carpenter from Galilee? He wouldn't want to do that. So he just did not want his friends to see him humbling himself and saying to himself, there's something I need that I have not found in my life. But whatever it was, when he came with his intellectual uh, approach to the Lord, dealing with it like he would every other thing, it, it came to his attention that for a person to know God and, and live with God for eternity and for God to live in his life, he had to be born again. He asked the obvious question, does that mean I have to go back and be born physically again and enter my mother's womb and be born? You would not expect a man as intelligent, educated as he was to ask that kind of question, but he did. Then the Lord explained to him, no, Nicodemus, everybody has to have a physical birth. Everybody has to have a water birth. But then you choose the spiritual birth. You don't have to be. You can just go along and do whatever you want to do, do it the best you can, see how it all comes out. Now, that's the story. Now, let me just say up front that God can accomplish his plan for your life. He can. He can do it with or without you, I mean by that, that his plan may be such that his ways are so much higher than our ways that his, his plan for you is not your plan for you, but God can allow anything to happen in your life. He can cause anything to happen in your life because he is God. But by the same token, he makes it very, very clear that he, his plans for us is not to do us harm, but to do us good. But then... I read Nicodemus and I have to look at me. You have to look at you. When I look at me and when I look at you, most of us, due to the sin nature we have inherited from our not so great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, give our Lord a very difficult time in raising us. We just seem to want to treat him like we did everybody else when we were born. Selfish, my way, I'll eat when I want to, what I want to, I'll do what I want to, and nobody will tell me what to do. We're all that way. Adam and Eve made a terrible, terrible, terrible decision when they had the whole world and God gave to, gave to Adam the animals and then gave to him Eve and God said it's very good 
in that perfect environment, nobody to blame it on, and the wheels came off. Because in that couple, they chose not many sins, but one sin. That one sin was to break that one commandment, don't eat the fruit of that tree. And a snake was the one that deceived Eve, who deceived Adam, and the rest is history. We are born with that sin nature. As I make my main point, I want you to go with me a little bit further. Most of us who are here today and those that are watching or listening have traveled a few years down the road of life. We're not spring chickens, okay? We have seen a few things. We've experienced some things that we never thought we'd experience. You know, maybe you're, the AAA has canceled your membership and you just needed them today to come get your car flat, fixed in the rain. Maybe you've had something catastrophic like the insurance companies have told you that they can't write you insurance. They can't write you health insurance because you're in such bad health by the sins that you brought into your body. Or they can't insure your car because your car has been wrecked so many times and you're a terrible driving record. I don't know, but anyway, you're just, you're just struggling. Now hold on to this for a minute. Some of you are just overqualified for the job that you have. That's the reason that you don't have it anymore. Or you're too old to get another job that you might be qualified for. The banks won't loan you any money, and you don't have any financial solvency at all. Your mates told you that you're underqualified to be married to them, and you've thought the same thing to the opposite. You wonder what's happened to all your friends. Where's all that bunch that told you, you and you thought you were the life of the party and no longer are they there? What happened to them? Where are they gone to? Those real friends now that you're struggling. Your girlfriend or boyfriend who told you that they loved you is living with somebody else now. Stick with me. Your social drinking has now become an addiction to drugs and alcohol. Maybe it is that you're looking for someone to remove your tattoos. It won't hurt you as much as the needles that put them on there. You're in an in-between time. Now, stick with me. Nicodemus, in this story, is in an in-between time. He comes to Jesus, and he is reflecting on his life to that point. He got the money, the fame, the fortune, all that stuff, but now he realizes, now that I got all this stuff, and I got everything that I wanted, now I don't want what I got. And so then he meets this little carpenter from Galilee, who has gone about and he's watched him by the touch of his hand change people immediately, even the blind to see and the deaf to hear and lame to walk. And now he's in an in-between time. He's in an in-between time. In the sports world, they call that halftime. In the entertainment world, they call it intermission time. I want you to think for just a moment. What is that halftime? What is it for? Well, let me help you to, to think through so I can make my point. I've just said to you, I believe Nicodemus is in the halftime of his life. Now, maybe you'd say, well, preacher, based on age expectancy, I'm not in the halftime, I'm in the third quarter. Well, they have quarters in halftimes. You say, well, I'm in the fourth quarter. 
Well, okay, they got fourth quarters. But wait a minute, let me tell you something else. In football, they give you the two-minute warning. And in the two-minute warning, many football teams are incredible. You wonder, why didn't they play 32-minute times instead of all of these quarters? Because you see, when you come into halftime and you're losing, you can either say, well, this game is over. You know, we don't just call the referee and tell them we're not coming out of this place anymore. I remember seeing in one locker room, it says you have 30 minutes left to play the game. You got the rest of your life to think about how you played it. But what happens in the halftime is, and what happens in intermission is, you've, you've, it, it is a halftime, it's a quiet time. All your friends and all the fans are out e eating greasy nachos and greasy hamburgers and drinking Diet Coke so they won't gain any weight. <laughs> and they could care less about what you're doing in your intermission time or what you're doing at your halftime, but here's the point. If you're losing in the first half and you don't make any changes for the second half, you're going to be losing when it's over with. Now, when you understand that most games are not won and lost in the first half, most of them are won or lost in the second half, and a lot of them have been won or lost in the second and the last two minutes. Now, you can put yourself anywhere, but, but you've got to end up in this. I don't want you to be on the playing field right now. I don't want you to be on the stage. I want you to be in intermission time. I want you to just stop for a moment while you're agonizing over the fact that you're a loser, by that I mean you know that you haven't acquired happiness. You know that you're not pleased with your life. You know that there's something there that you wish wasn't there and there's something you wish was there and it isn't there. You don't know a thing in the world about a peace that passes all understanding. You know nothing about a faith in a sovereign God who says that I can do anything I want to do and I can overcome any adversity in your life. I can heal the sick, raise the dead, bring wealth to the poor, whatever it might be. But you're in that moment of intermission. Remember years ago, for those of you that have been in the game a little longer, the sound of music. Remember those, those even those movies used to have intermission. And oftentimes, if you, if you remember Maria in that movie, her life was falling apart. She had packed her bag and was leaving, and all of a sudden it changes, and she comes back a winner. Two weeks ago, I was at a, a musical, 42nd Street, that our grandson was in. And when it came to the end of the first act, as part of the script, the lead character walked out, the lead, lead male character, character walked out, the, the curtain closed, and to set us up for the rest of the night, he said, ladies and gentlemen, what had happened was that in the last scene, the star of the Broadway musical, 42nd Street, had broken her leg. Because the key person had broken her leg, and it was just hours before the curtain had come up, the man that's erecting comes out, and he closes Act 1 with words like this. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, the show has been canceled. You can get your money back at the, at the box office. We apologize, but the show is canceled. That's the way it ended. Well, when we came back and watched the second act, the one that broke her leg was replaced. It was better than the one that broke her leg, and it ended up with everybody giving a standing ovation, and in 42nd Street, we win. We win. 
Now, some of you have already announced, I'm a failure. I am a failure. The wheels have come off of my life. I'm in a mess. Nicodemus was like that. But during his halftime and during his intermission, in the middle of the night, he slips over to meet with a person, Jesus, Son of God, perfect man, all power given to him in heaven and earth, and he talks to this man about an opportunity to change his life in the second half or in the intermission. It was in that moment that I want you to identify with. You see, I'm talking to some today. You may be here, you may be listening, you may be watching. But you're in the halftime right now, and you're in intermission. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Maybe I'm talking to some, and you're between the time of a divorce that wasn't a, a pretty one, and the possibility of beginning another meaningful relationship. Maybe you're in the halftime between a job termination and finding that perfect job. Maybe you've just gone through a bankruptcy and you're in that intermission of will my credit ever be available to me again? Will I ever be able to have financial solvency? Maybe you're going through a, a halftime where there's been immorality. You wonder, will there ever be forgiveness? Will I ever be able to live my life again? Maybe you're in that halftime between the diagnosis of a serious illness and whether or not you will overcome it. You're in intermission. You're in halftime. Now, that's what we're talking about, but I want to get back to the story. I want to get on the spiritual side. I'm talking to a lot of us today, and we're in intermission. Now, for some, that intermission is the time between hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, you have listened, you have watched, maybe some of you that watch the television, you've seen several ministers that have spoken. You've got friends that have shared with you scripture. But you not yet have made a decision to forsake all and follow Christ. You're in intermission. Others of you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when he said, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I command, you have heard the commandment, repent, I've done that, and then be baptized because your sins have been remitted. You have been forgiven, and the first commandment to Jesus for you is to be baptized. And you're already hung up. You have come to that and said, no, no, whoa, 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 no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Wait, wait, it's not about what you want to do. Jesus said, I want you to be baptized. He said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, because your sins have been remitted. Okay, now listen to me. No baptism does not save you. Well, then why do I have to do it? Because Jesus said so. Did that ever work in your home? It worked in my home several times. Well, Dad, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. That's why, oh, I remember, let's go. Let's go do it right now. You know, where is it? Now, some of you are between being baptized. Here's your intermission, and you still haven't found a church home. Why? Well, I just don't think that you have to be a member of a church in order to be saved. And I just don't see the importance of it. 
And I can be just as good a Christian and not be a member of church as I can and be a member of church. And the Greek word for that is baloney. <laughs> if, if you can be as good without the church, why did God establish the church? Why did he say, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Why did he say, the church is my bride? Let me ask you men that are married, if somebody came to you and some of your old buddy, uh, Bubba buddies came to you and said, you know, I like you, I like to pray God for you, I like to come over and eat hamburgers in your backyard, but I can't stand your bride. I cannot stand your wife. I mean, she just gets on my nerves, and I just don't have to have her talking in this ear. I just want to have you talking in this ear, and I want to have a relationship with you, but I want nothing to do with your wife. I imagine a lot of the guys would get up and say, you want to get it on? You know, love me, love my wife. God said, you love me, you love my bride, the church. No, the church is not perfect. But the Bible says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The Bible says the Lord's coming back for his church. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why? Because the world that's looking needs to see some organization that is the body of Christ on earth so when they see that church and the way it operates, they see Jesus. Not in the things they do on Sunday morning to worship, alone but in all that they do will they stand the close-up test can it be said behold how they love one another is it a group of people that believe that they can esteem others more highly than themselves are they a group of people that are serving instead of wanting to be served maybe you're in that intermission right now you have said okay i've been baptized but i don't want to join the church okay Maybe you said, well, I've gone farther than that. I've joined the church. Now the Bible says, okay, I want you to serve. I want to give you, I'm giving you spiritual gifts. I want you to use them in my body. Well, I don't have time for that. You know, I don't have time. I ain't got 15 minutes when the church service is over to stay an extra 15 minutes and tell everybody goodbye or come 20, 30 minutes early and tell them, oh, I ain't got time for that. After all, somebody might get my seat. Can you imagine? I mean, I just have to do my thing. I'm just in this kind of routine. Let me tell you something. If you're not serving, you're not happy. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. When the Lord says to you upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by in store as God has prospered them. You say, not me. Not with the bills I have, not with the taxes I pay, not and on and on and on and on. You know what? The happy people are the givers. The unhappy people are the takers. The happy people look forward to give. The takers never, ever get everything that they want. It's an intermission. It's a halftime. Where are you in that? Where are you in that? Well, you say, well, preacher, how long can an intermission last? Well, I know it lasts for Israel 70 years. Most of us don't have that much time to stay in intermission. Because, you see, Israel and God had it out for 70 years before God convinced Israel you're my chosen people. I've got a plan for you, and you better get on with my plan. For Peter, it lasts seven weeks, the intermission. Seven weeks began with Paul being in Caiaphas' court, denying that he even knew Jesus. Seven weeks later, he preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. He used his intermission well. Let me tell you, folks, don't waste your intermission time. Don't just spend it out there getting hot dogs. Don't just spend it just saying, boy, I thank God I got rid of that job. I don't have any more to do unless somebody talks me into something. And make 
full benefit of intermission. In that time, learn about baptism, learn about church membership, learn about service, learn about giving, learn about whatever you are, but use your intermission right so that the last half of your life isn't like the first half or the last two minutes isn't like the other part of it. That's what I'm saying. Paul, it took Paul three years. Paul, in three years, went from the number one persecutor of the church to the number one missionary of the church, three years. And Jesus went in three days from dying on a cross to being raised from the grave. During his three-day intermission, he prepared himself to go sit at the right hand of the Father and deal with the mess that we've caused him. What a God we serve. Seven days. What's one of those days? Rest. Rest. You need it. Why? Well, how'd you do last week? Not well. What are you going to do this week? Same thing I did last week. Again, you do the same thing you've always done. You'll always have what you've already got. Nicodemus came in intermission time and he got a word from God. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. During the halftime, wherever it is, here's what I want to ask yourself. Have you ever been born again? Have you ever been born again? Is it that in your intermission, through any example, there could be a thousands more, but just to kind of get you thinking, in your intermission, your past life, drugs, alcohol, immorality, pride, go on and on and on, selfishness. Are you going to learn to use that time to the maximum effectiveness so that you can come out of there. And when you come out of there, you come out of there having been born again if you've never been born again. Now, you may be born again and be going through these times, and your intermission is not for a new birth. It was for Nicodemus, but it needs to be for you if you haven't been. Because your religion will not get you what you're looking for if you're looking for fulfillment in this life and life everlasting. So you need to look at the spiritual thing. The question is, are you born again? Let me real quickly give you some things. Number one, do you really love the things of God more than the things of the world? This is the question. Ask yourself. Now be honest with me. Do you really love the things of God as much as you love the things of this world? The book of 1 John, not the, not the gospel, but the epistles, back in the back. Okay, go to Revelations, turn left when you come to the little book. The whole book. These things were written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life and have passed from death into life. Listen, listen to 1 John 2, 15. The question is, do you love the things of God more than you love the things of this world? Now, you've got to be honest about this. Here's what the book says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Now, you can weigh up as to wh what you do with your time. Is it for the world or is it for God? Are your Sundays for God? Oh, one of the commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and go get entertained. 
Or does it say, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Now, what's most important? That's the question. Have you ever been born again? Do you love the things of God more than the things of this world? If you do, you've been born again. If you don't, you need to be. Question number two, do you hate sinning or do you love sinning? Now, let me tell you what the word is. I just like to party, party, party. Party, party. Thank God it's Friday and we're going to have a party. 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 How many times have people told you in your lifetime, we're going to have a party? You want to come to the party? We're going to have a party. What's the party about? We're going to party. Well, we're just going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're going to celebrate, you know, I don't think so. I think we're just going to have a few drinks and act like a fool and hope we can get sober by Monday. Well, I sure want to do that because I don't go to church on Sunday anyway. And I don't give God any of my money, so I can spend all kinds of money on parties. Just give me the lust of the flesh. The question is, do you hate sinning or do you enjoy sinning? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Listen, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are new. Has that happened to you? Number three, are you ashamed and too bashful to tell others about Jesus? Are you one of those that goes around and says, you know what? I don't ever talk about spiritual things, what you say is religion. If that were, that were true, it'd be wonderful because I don't want you to talk about religion. But what you're saying is I don't talk about Jesus because I don't think it's any of my business. Oh, yes, it is. That's what God saved you to do. Jesus came to tell people about the Father. God said, I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you for you to go people, tell people about me. He said, I just don't do that. Well, why don't you do it? If he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world, why, why aren't you letting the one in you be shared with the people in the world that are desperately trying to find hope in their life? Romans 10, 11. Listen, for the Scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. The worst thing that can happen in your office is for somebody to find out that you're a Christian and been working with them 30 years and you've never told them about Jesus and their life has come and unraveled for the last 30 years. They want you to, to be honest with them. They want you to share with them if it's true that you can sing what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. There are people here that you hear that song, you don't even know what the song is about because it never happened. You say, well, when I joined church, the church didn't change me. Well, if you met Jesus, it changed you. How do you know? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Have you been born again? Nicodemus, you must be born again. John, you must be born again. You must be born again. Are you convinced? Here's another question. God loves you so much that regardless of what's happening in your life today, that God's in control? He's sovereign and he's in control. You really believe that? Do you have anything to believe it for? If you lost your job, lost your health, lost your money, you think God cares? You think God knows? Do you think God can do something about it? Do you think maybe God's wanting you to learn something? It's halftime. It's intermission. If you don't change, nothing's going to change in the future. If you're born again, you're a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. This is the first day of the rest of your life. 
Another question, do you really care where other people spend eternity? Do you care? Do you care? The people that are sitting right by you. If you were sitting by somebody right now and you knew that they were listening to this sermon and they were real close to accepting the new birth, but in the last 60 seconds of this service, you get up and move. And just like that, the spirit is broken. Would you get up and move and walk out? just to gain one minute to the cafeteria or one minute to get to your car, if you cared? I understand, folks, that's tough stuff, but it's truth. Do you care where people spend eternity that are sitting by you right now? But people are here from every walk of life, every week. You should hear the stories from last Sunday. I can't wait to hear them from today. Of the people here last Sunday, that God changed their life incredibly, because they were not disturbed and God blocked that out but we've got to be sensitive folks that whatever we do in word or in deed we do it all to the glory of God that's what he's saying the psalmist says in 107 verse 2 let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy 1 John 3 14 we know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren he that loves not others abides in death 1 Peter 3, 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks for a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and in fear. Number six, have you refused or think it is not important to follow the Lord in baptism? I want to hit that one more time. Acts 2, 38, Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ because your sins have been remitted and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the final one, have you ever asked Christ to save you? Well, there's really one before that. Do you love the bride, the church? I hope so. Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then the last one, have you ever asked Christ to come into your life? Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved so my final question to you is if not why not today the Bible says today is the day of salvation now is accepted why have you been in intermission long enough to say I'm ready for a brand new life I'm tired of the devil beating up on me I'm tired of this mess and I'm going to receive my gift of eternal life Hebrews 12 1 Wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. You want to get in the race? You ready to get with it? You ready to step out by faith and say, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me, I'm going to forsake all and I'm going to follow Christ. As for me, I'm not playing any religious game, not a Baptist religious game, not a Catholic religious game, not a Methodist, Presbyterian, or you name it. I'm going to follow Jesus. And wherever he leads, I am going to go. I am not going to go through this intermission I'm in now and come out not being much stronger because I have learned, I have learned where I am and where I can go if I'll just take up my cross and follow him. That's the question today, folks. That's what God wants you to hear. You can't undo the past. You, 
must understand God wants to forgive you. You must understand that God can change you, and he charges you nothing, absolutely nothing. You can be bankrupt morally, bankrupt spiritually, bankrupt financially, bankrupt physically, but today is the first day of your life if you will be born again. That's the offer. That's the offer. And Jesus rose to sit by the right hand of the Father to guarantee that he deals with Satan. You come to the Lord, he'll take care of the devil. But you've got to come to the Lord. This is not let's make a deal. It's not what's behind door number one, door number two, and door number three. It's what are you going to do with this man called Jesus. He died for you. The cross is empty. He rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. The thorns are left behind. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back to get those that have been born again. Are you one of those? While you and I are on the stage of life, our job is to glorify God. If we live unto the Lord, or we die unto the Lord, we're the Lord's. That's what Paul said. Can you imagine what would happen to you if those that know you, what would happen not only to you, but what would happen to them if they saw a new you because Jesus came into your life today and old things passed away and all things became new. There's this precious lady that was baptized a while ago her story is so real and so special and so precious. But a new name was written down in glory. The past is forgiven and forgotten. And now there's power in the blood. There's power to take this moment and move forward. And the Lord said, I'll bury your sins, my sins, in the bottom of the sea, and I will remember them no more. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You want them forgiven? You want them wiped out? It's not about joining the church. It's about being born again. Why don't you let that happen to you today? Why don't you let that happen? If you need a Savior, you need to be baptized, you need a church home, or maybe you need a place to serve. That's what your intermission has taught you. I know I'm born again. I know I've been baptized. I know I'm a member of the church. I need a place to serve. You've got to walk over two red tents that are about eight foot tall to say, well, I just don't know where I can find a place to serve. Listen, the Savior's waiting. There are people out in the foyer waiting. There are people in the Connection Center waiting. You want to be saved? You want to be baptized? You want to join the church? Okay, go in the Connection Center. That's the room back this side of the divine servant. You want to serve? Stop at that red tent. You say, I'm colorblind. Ask a lady. Don't ask a man. Men are colorblind. Women aren't. Ask a woman. Say, where's red tent? And you stop there and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Give me a spot. I'll make people so happy, happy, happy that they just, can't, they just won't be able to handle it when they come in the door. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you're so awesome. Father, even as I was preparing this message, I saw so many things happening in my own life, and those around me that reminds me that none of us know what another day is going to bring. 
I recognize, Father, that your word is coming true hour by hour and day by day. I'm aware, dear God, that so far every prophecy you've made in the Bible has been fulfilled except those that are yet to come and you've told us that none of us know the exact moment. But it is appointed unto us to die. It is appointed that we'll all stand before you. We're all told that the question will be, were you born again? What did you do with the sacrifice of my son, Jesus, my only begotten son? Did you receive it or did you not? Now, Father, we know until it's over that there's still time left on the clock. It may be the two-minute warning. It may be we're in the last quarter of the second half, but I thank you for intermission time when we can be still and know that you're God. So would you let us today go out of here doing what we should do, and you and you alone know what that is. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.